Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. WTF1 presents Hot Takes Wednesday. Welcome back to another edition of Hot Takes Wednesday. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison. Glad you could join us for another edition of HDW. And joining me in the guest chair on this occasion, we've once again scoured the wide world that is formerly known as the WTF1 talent pool. You've seen, you've probably seen him without even realizing. Now, uh, you've probably seen him in motorsport.com, the Inside the Line podcast, and a bunch of other places. Uh, he, he's, he's known as Cinderan, but you probably better know him as the F1 stats guru, and he's finally on Hot Takes Wednesday. I've been meaning to get him on the show for a little while, but Cinderan, good to have you on the show, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great now. Thank you for having me on the podcast. It's my first episode on the WTF1 podcast. And thank you for the lovely introduction. And I really can't wait to get down to dis- dissecting all the hot takes that we have in today's episode. Yeah, well, so you'll fit right in. Like I said, you, you're, you're a stats guy. You mean you, you're a self-proclaimed stats guy. I mean, before we get into it, I, w- I always wanted to ask, like, how do you, like, how did you end up becoming a fan of the sport? And then how did you decide to become one of the people that Toto Wolf can't stand, apparently, the guys that look on Wikipedia for everything that might be stats related regarding F1, because that is a deep dive and a half to get into. <laughs> I absolutely love how you put that, because yeah, it, <laughs> it kind of does seem that Toto doesn't like Wikipedia or the stats pages that use a lot of Wikipedia, but I, alo- I owe a lot of my Formula One knowledge to Wikipedia over the years and, and decades. But it's been two decades almost of uh, following Formula One since Fernando Alonso won the 2003 Hungarian Grand Prix. Ah, That's when I was really introduced to the sport. And I saw my first race in 2005, the Bahrain Grand Prix. And I've been a fan ever since. And creating content is something I've been trying to do over the past several years. But stats somehow just came about in 2021 when I felt people really love the numbers and the data behind it. And it's nice to find some nice patterns, some quirky patterns, especially. And it's also nice for to be recognized on the F1 broadcast every now and then. So it's been a lovely journey. Oh, I can imagine. I mean, like we like being a go-to person for someone you can look up to for numbers, stats, and cool little quirky things. Because this is a very complicated sport, and, and you know you've got layers of history, massive 
transitions in tech, you know, scoring systems, points. There's, there's, there's so many different angles you can look at it from, from the sport, from a, from a statistical standpoint. And I will never not find that fascinating. So I'm delighted to have you on the show. Uh, of course, we'll give you a quick plug at the end so we can find out where you can find you as well, which to be fair is kind of all over the place. But this is a good thing. We love that. Um, so... For those who are new, because as I always say, every podcast is somebody's first. For those who don't know, Welcome to Hot Takes Wednesday. On this show, you, the fine WTF1 audience, can send in your hot takes. Um, you can do that on Twitter at WTF1Official, of course. And uh, look out for the post every Monday morning uh, for where we ask for your takes. Send them in there. If you want, you can also send them to me directly on Instagram, at Dre, uh, DreWTF1, on there, or Drew Drew F1, whatever, whatever's easier to remember. Because uh, I, I, I tried to put the underscore on my username last week, and apparently it was already taken, which was a bugger. So uh, that's that's annoying. Someone clearly fought ahead of the game just just to troll me. Um, so that's on Instagram as well. Or you can you can send us an email at contact at wtf one dot com. All of the takes get passed on to me. I do read them. I always try and get a bit of a blend of email, Instagram, and Twitter where I can. Um, again, like f- thanks for the patience as well because i know a lot of you are sending them in we only have time for five per episode i will put this out there get in touch would you guys mind if i went to six an episode and the show was nearer an hour long sending you feedback i'm curious about this i I like to keep the around 45 minutes normally but i don't mind going a little bit longer if it gets uh more of you guys takes on the show so do get in touch if you want maybe a slightly longer show in future um keep me keep me posted on that or you can just tweet me as always uh dre uh dre underscore wtf1 on twitter for all of that right so after you send in your takes, uh, me and my guest in this case, Uda Ramo, really F1 stats guru himself, we'll go back and forth on them a little bit and then we'll score them on a scale of one to five. One being that we strongly disagree with them, five being that we strongly agree with them. And if Sundaram's feeling extra spicy, he can play on hard difficulty, which means he's only allowed to use three once per episode. That's always fun. Um, everybody, no pressure, my friend, but every guest we've had on so far has followed this rule. Just throwing that out there. It's like the last dab, only in this case, you can't sit on the fence more than once. Good luck. I'll I'll do my best not to be on the fence. I, I've really prepped for this, so I'll, I'll try my best not to be on the fence. <laughs> we, we shall see how that goes over the course of these next five takes or so. So, you ready for our takes Wednesday, my friend? Yes, let's go. Let's do it. Take number one comes from Cynical Sam Free on Twitter, and Cynical Sam Free says... During George Russell's Mercedes career, he will never top the 326 points in a single season that Valtteri Bottas achieved in 2019. Uh, can you tell I was looking for takes that were a bit more stat-focused on this occasion? I'm not sure if you can tell. Um, <laughs> but uh, one more time, during George Russell's Mercedes career, he will never top the 326 points in a single year that Valtteri Bottas achieved in 2019. What do you make of that one, first and foremost, my, my friend? I think it's a very specific question, this one, because mm. it's specifically talking about Russell not going past Bottas's best tally in a season at Formula 1. So 2019 was the year where Valtteri Bottas took four wins, the most he's ever done in one season. He's had 15 podiums out of the 21 races that year. Mm. And he finished P2 in the championship, just shy of 100 points behind Lewis Hamilton. So when I heard this take, I the first thing that comes up to my mind is surely George Russell is going to do much better than what Valtteri Bottas has managed to do in that car. Probably 
because of the skill set or the talent that George Russell brings and the sort of credentials he's had. He's a Formula 2 champion. He's a GP3 champion. But cynical Sam may not have a very cynical question over here because if you dig into the data, it's slightly more difficult for Russell is what I believe. So ever since we've had this point system from 2010 onwards, there have been just 22 occasions where a driver has taken 300 or more points. And on each of those occasions, the driver has finished either first, second or third. And closer to what uh, Sam has asked over here, closer to the 320 mark, every time a driver has scored 320 points, they've finished either first or second. And to do that, they've taken a minimum of four wins and roughly 12 podiums. So that's the baseline we're setting for George Russell over here. Is he going to take four wins and a minimum of 12 podiums? Now, the thing is, the situation is slightly different from what Valtteri Bottas had during his years at Mercedes because quite clearly that was a car that was fighting for P1 or P2 in the championship. And for him, he had the sort of platform to kind of let his talent do the talking. And that's the resultant of that is what we saw in 2019. But things are quite different these years, especially, especially since George Russell made the move to Mercedes. Mm-hmm. He might have thought about that in 2020 while sitting that car at, at Sakhir, that surely this is going to be a car that's going to be winning a lot of races next year onwards. But unfortunately, that's not be that's not been the case 2022 onwards and not really <laughs> not really and the car has had a very narrow operating window and it tends to blow hot and cold on and off and in that sense if you talk about the fact that we have a lot more races and sprint races now sure george russell has more opportunities to get beyond that beyond the 326 point mark but i think a lot of it really depends on the car that mercedes are able to give him uh, to finish either p1 or p2 over the next couple of seasons, at least, you would expect Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez, I mean, as long as Sergio Perez is with Red Bull, to kind of take P1 and P2 in the championship. But I think unless Mercedes give him a very good car, I think it's going to be a little difficult for George Russell. Yeah, I, I, I'm inclined to agree for the most part here. that I, I think Because Mercedes are in a difficult situation. They are clearly... I'd say about half a second off the eight ball where Red Bull is at the moment. And Toto said it himself. He, he, he thinks they're about half a second a lap behind where Red Bull are. And well, Red Bull are putting together by all stats and all counting stats. I'm sure you'll agree. Probably the best F1 season we've ever seen on paper. Um, and Mercedes, they're kind of in a strange place. They're second in the constructors right now. I, it sometimes feels like they're the second or third best car. It's a bit strange. It seems to vary weekend to weekend. But I think because they're normally around third best, I think their consistency and Hamilton's still driving very well. I think they've got second place in pretty safe hands at the moment. 326 is a big number. One, I, I, I didn't even need to have, again, your level of in, incredible deep dives on, on the number of points scored to know that's normally championship runner-up sort of range. Um, Mercs would likely have to have either a, a car similar to maybe where they were in 2021 where they're a title contender and maybe wins about half the races on, on, on the table to, to be at that kind of level or they're such a strong second place that they're going to be on the podium like almost every other weekend and maybe getting even five or six wins for the year. George Russell's won once since joining Mercedes. The team has won once since this regulation set started. Mercedes are not there yet. I think they will close the gap on Red Bull in time. I think as regulation sets develop, the field naturally, I think, closes in a bit. 
Um, it's a, I've, I've often said it's a sport of diminishing returns as you know, teams get better. You know, there's less to discover. Everybody kind of bunches up a bit. So maybe in two or three years' time down the road, Mercedes has a car that's a lot closer to where Red Bull is at right now, and maybe that would open the door for George to potentially do it. The one hurdle that stops me from going all the way on this is Lewis Hamilton, because Lewis Hamilton is, at worst, on a very similar level to George, if not probably slightly better and he's going to take points off George. That's the inevitable factor of having two very strong drivers in the same team. It's not like Red Bull, where Max has completely dominated. Sergio Perez, bless his heart, is is not on Max's level. I think that's pretty fair to say at this point. You've, Mercedes have gone for a different approach. They've gone for the, we're going to have two number ones here and hope for the best. And there's nothing wrong with that at the moment because they're not challenging for a title. But, if Mercedes ever gets to a point where they they are on that level again, get into that sort of point total against Hamilton directly when you're fighting for wins could be difficult. On the other side of the coin as well, though, the seasons are a lot bigger now. We're looking at 24 races next year and six sprints, at least, most likely, how the season's going to play out. So that actually helps out George as well a little bit. There's more points to play for in general. It's hard. I mean, like you said, you're looking at roughly four wins and 12 podiums would roughly get you to about 320 and that sort of ballpark figure. Mercs aren't there yet. So it's going to take a big leap for me to get there. I'm going to slightly disagree with this. I'm going to say two on this one. I think... Oh, hang on. He said never top. So he thinks he won't get there. So on second four, I haven't reread it. I'm going to say four. I'm going to go to the other end of the scale because I actually misread the take for a second there. That's that's my bad. Uh, my bad, Sam. I'm going to say four. I think it's going to take at least another two or three years for Mercedes to get there. And Russell's only tied down until 2025. Who knows what happens once the next regulation set drops? We'll have to wait and see what happens to the sport then because you never know what happens when, when the book gets reset. So I'm going to say four. Four. I don't think he'll get to 326 as long as he's a Mercedes driver. That's that's how uh, that's that's bold from me. But I that's I, a bold I think, claim. I think Mercedes would have to be a dominant team again for George to guarantee that kind of point count. And I don't think that's going to happen with Red Bull being as good as they are right now. Uh, what uh, do you what do you think? Well, absolutely, I, I think. But the fact is that George Russell has been invested a lot. I think Mercedes have invested a lot mm. in, in George Russell. And clearly, the intention behind him joining the team was the fact that when Lewis Ham- Hamilton eventually hangs his boots, George Russell is going to carry the legacy forward. He's going to be the flag bearer for Mercedes. And he's going to be the, the front mm. runner when it comes to winning or, or taking podiums. So they have a long plan with George Russell. And it really... S- seems difficult to imagine George Russell not being at Mercedes beyond 2025 or Leclerc not being at Ferrari or Verstappen not being at Red Bull. I think these combinations, they really kind of blend well. And I would imagine George Russell to be with this team a very long time. But the fact is that he will never top 326 points, knowing so much that people talk about him being a championship contender, a future champion. Uh, So I think it's very much possible that he's going to do much beyond 326. So I think, yeah, four on that sense. I think he will do much better than what Valtteri Bottas has accumulated. 
Okay, so hang on. Because Sam said he will never top it, so you're going to go two on the other end, Nick, because you disagree with that, don't you? There you go. See, I, I have to correct both of us in, in space of the last two minutes, which I love that for us. One of these days, we'll get the format right. Today is clearly <laughs> not that day, <laughs> but we'll try. I hope you, hope you, hope you enjoyed that uh, synopsis there, Sam. Tick number two comes from Radu28, and uh, hey, it's a Max Verstappen take. This is always going to go down well on social media. Right, Max Verstappen will surpass Michael Schumacher's win tally by the end of the current regulations. And I love he's done some of the maths for us already. He needs to win 45 out of the next 56 available. So that's assuming the calendar shape doesn't change because we could, you know, we could lose races here and there. We already have this year with Imola, for example, not happening and, and whatnot. So as it stands, we have 56 races between now and the end of, I'm, I'm going to assume he means 2025 season because we're due, due for new cars in 2026. So Verstappen will surpass Verstappen's, sorry, will surpass Michael Schumacher's wins tally by the end of the current regulations. He needs to win 45 out of the next 56, which, <laughs> I mean, on current form, it's, it's, it's hard to argue with this one because Max has been on a ridiculous tear the last, God, season and a half, roughly. I mean, you look at his Wikipedia page, if you're one of these people that, unlike Total Wolf, it's just gold everywhere it's 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 like being at fort knox it's uh it is a lot uh, it's he's he's only lost four races i think since the middle of last season it's 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 incredible do you think this can go on for another two plus years and he could maybe i mean 92 wins well schumacher has 91 i know that much 92 wins. I, I remember years ago when Lewis Hamilton started to rack these seasons off. He was winning 10, roughly 10 rounds a year through the turbo hybrids. I thought Michael Schumacher's win record was the most untouchable record out there. I remember I said this on a video on one of my old channels I used to work for. I said it was the most unbreakable record in F1. I was wrong <laughs> on, on that one. Do you think Max could potentially get to 92 wins that quickly? What do you reckon? I mean, once again, this is a very interesting take and one where we can't really kind of say a yes or no, only because there's a timeline associated with it. Mm. And and like you mentioned, Michael Schumacher taking 91 wins. At that point of time, even I kind of thought that surely no one's going to go beyond this. And Lewis Hamilton does 103, he goes 12 more. And a similar type of record was Sebastian Vettel taking nine in a row mm. in 2013. Clearly at, at the mid-season break, that point of time, no one must have imagined that this kid is going to take all of the next, how many, nine races through the rest of the season. And he won all of them. And that was another record that I felt would never be surpassed. And you see Verstappen currently sitting on 10 straight, 10 in a row. And probably he could add another I don't know, two, three, five or eight for the rest of the season. Yeah. So Michael Schumacher himself has said that records are meant to be broken. And we're clearly in that sort of an era where a lot of records are being broken. So you would kind of expect Verstappen, or I would say I, I expect Verstappen to go past Schumacher's 91 and probably even Lewis Hamilton's 103 wow. only because Verstappen has age on his side. He's currently 25. Very He's true. turning... He is turning 26 uh, later this month. And this could also turn out to be one of those Alonso stories where he's winning races with Renault, he's winning races with Ferrari, and all of a sudden he makes a switch to McLaren and he does not win. <laughs> 
a single race for 10 years he doesn't take a single pole position for 11 years you don't know what what's there in the future but solely based on where we are right now i would expect him to take the record for the most number of wins in formula 1 but it looks very difficult to, to do that over the next two and a half years so verstappen's currently on 47 and he's taken 37 of those wins since 2021 in the last two and a half years and usually across two seasons you could see a driver winning maybe 20 hamilton's done that verstappen's won i think 27 over the past two seasons is he going to win 45 of the next 56 races which basically means we're leaving only 11 to the likes of Perez, Leclerc, Sainz, Hamilton, Norris, Alonso, if he's there as mm. well in the mix. And I think that's going to be very, very difficult. I, I think it comes down to two things. If you see Verstappen winning the next 45 or 56 races, you mean we are reaching an era of dominance and consistency that you've never imagined or even witnessed before. Mm. And I really don't doubt Verstappen uh, to be able to do that. I think he can definitely do that. But the other thing is the fact that the other teams like mercedes or aston martin or ferrari or mclaren are also not going to have a front running car which i think is probably the more difficult aspect over here i know we have a budget gap i know we have an aero scale as well it kind of complicates things and mm. surely red bull has an advantage over here but i really think they're going to be they're going to be seeing quite a few race winners from those teams as well so only that timeline of seeing Verstappen do this before 2026 i think that's not going to that's not going to happen he, he might do it eventually but not before 2026 i i agree with you for the most part on this one i think look red bull are incredible right now there's no arguments about that this is the, the best individual season we've ever seen from an f1 team there is like Red Bull were a little bit they like I think they played it down because I saw them in the in the media today say that they think Leclerc might genuinely be a threat at Singapore because they think that Ferrari is going to be good round there new layout and whatnot. But Helmut Marco did also say that if he thinks if they win Singapore they think they've got a good chance of winning everything left on the calendar. Which well at this point <laughs> they're 14 up and they're 14 down I they are more than capable like it's not even the drivers the execution the pit stops the strategy they've been virtually flawless the whole way through their execution has been absolutely untouchable it it goes beyond just how brilliant max verstappen has been every function of that red bull team let's not forget they're also on a severe wind tunnel hit because they're reigning champions and they took the cost cap penalty from last season as well and they they are still blowing the field away like this is a, a well-oiled machine of a team However, I kind of alluded to what I said earlier as well regarding the Russell take from earlier. This field will catch up. I have no doubt about that. This this if you look at the patterns of F1, you look at the regulations every, every set we we have them, eventually the field closes in and we do get one or two competitive seasons per rule per rule set per rule change, however you want to describe it. I think this field will close in to, towards Red Bull by the end of this regulation set. Teams will figure out what they're doing. They'll have their clones. They'll have their they'll produce copies that will mitigate a lot of their advantages and I think once that happens, I think it will open the door for Max to start dropping rounds a bit more frequently. Right now, there is every chance for Stappen closes out the rest of the year with wins. I think there is a genuine percentage chance that happens. but to do that over three seasons 
we've never seen anything like it. And it, it, we would, we'd be unlikely to ever see anything like it ever again. A combination of Max being one of the best F1 drivers we've ever seen, one of the best cars we've ever seen, and it would have to win for pretty much four years straight. That That's very, very hard to do. Not even Mercedes in the last era, which was the last real super dominant era. They didn't dominate all eight of those years. Ferrari was a genuine threat for a couple of those years. Red Bull was a fawn in their side and took a few wins off them here and there as well. So I think you're asking Max to only drop 11 rounds over the next two and a half years. I, I just can't get there on that. I think all it would take would be for a Mercedes or an Aston Martin or a Ferrari to have a genuine threat. Like we saw last year, first half of last season, Charles Leclerc started the year brilliantly. You know, Ferrari won four races before the summer break. Like It wouldn't take an awful lot for a team to be able to do that again. So I think... It's. I could see how you got there, Radu. I genuinely do. I think there is a world where Max can pull this off. I'm going to ultimately lean towards disagreeing on this one, though. I think this is a little bit too big an ask for Max right now. I'm going to say two. I'm going to disagree with this one. I I don't think Max... I think I think there's a very good chance, like you said, Sundaram, that I think Max will get to 92 eventually. Just not now. Like, again, there's so many things to come into play. Car strength, team politics, moving elsewhere, regulation changes. There's so many minefields that could happen between now and 2026 to stop that from happening. I think it's just a little bit too unlikely for me. So I'm going to say two. What do you reckon, Sudaram? I mean, even if you look at the fact that Red Bull have won 14 races this season, and like you mentioned, the execution has been faultless. And if you kind of compare this to sort of dominance, because people always compare Red Bull and Verstappen's dominance to what Mercedes have been able to do, Mm. or what Lewis Hamilton has been able to do. And they have not had those long streaks because something has usually happened after four or five races or seven races where sometimes your teammate runs into you or something something happens someone uh, someone else runs into you uh, on the, off the starting grid or something happens uh, in terms of strategy or if you've made a mistake red bull in that sense have really been faultless on in all departments and the longer you do it the higher the chances are there that you might screw up or you kind of might miss out in some race or the other so i feel surely 11 races is possible for other for other teams and drivers to win so i think i'll go to i'll go with the two on this fair enough i'm I'm in agreement with you on that one i think it's just i I think there's just too many variables the way the sport i often say on this show there are a hundred ways you can lose an F1 race. There's only one way you can win one. Um, there's much more, I think there's much more scope for a team to slip than it is for one to be that good for that long. Because we've, we've like Mercedes has come close to this, but we've never, ever seen a team do this. Not like this, not in, not in modern competition. It is ridiculous. Um, so we'll have to wait and see how long it goes, but I'm, I'm not convinced it'll be for another two and a half years. But hey, as you said, records are made to be broken. We'll have to wait and see. This one's a bit more of a race craft question. It comes from Devil's Bean Coffee, the Mr. Double Five from earlier this season on the Michael Italian episode. I remember you, Devil's Bean. Good to see you, buddy. He says, if a driver receives a time penalty, he should be made to take it through the race as a stop go. It's unfair to receive a five or 10 second penalty for taking someone out or forcing them to the back of the grid. 
This is more of a, uh, clearly more of a subjective uh, fan, uh, let's throw the judgment hammer at people sort of take. But if a driver receives a time penalty, it should be a stop and go instead. It's unfair to receive a five or 10 second time penalty for taking someone out or forcing them to the back of the grid. Now, to clarify, there is a system in place. I mean, it's subjective how the stewards generally go about their business. They're different every race. You can go anywhere from a warning a five-second time penalty, 10 seconds. Then we're talking drive-through penalty, 10 seconds stop and go, and then a black flag to be disqualified, which we don't see very... I mean, the upper end of this scale, we don't see very often these days. Like, it's rare. You might get one stop and go a year or something like that over a season now. I think the five-second time penalty has become by far and away the most common punishment we get these days so how do you feel about it in general syndrome is it something that we do we need to use more of the scale should we be harsher against against teams and drivers in general are you relatively happy with how the sport's been disciplined at the moment i mean if you go a little bit more harsher than what it already is you would probably see drivers becoming more defensive Mm. during races or during sprints just for the fear of having that huge a penalty that it kind of ends their race um because i don't see a one-size-fits-all penalty that that can be applied applied because every incident is different and Mm. it's not just racing incidents even if you see for example Esteban Ocon at the start of this year he was slightly just off his starting position and he also received a penalty so there are different penalties like you rightly mentioned for different type of types of offenses Um, and in that sense it's it's kind of I kind of get where the stake is coming from because it seems a little unfair that sometimes a driver for no fault of his own gets a, a puncture or has probably like in the case of Sergio Perez in Belgium he has a side pod literally being wiped off probably Mercedes testing the zero pod on the Red Bulls but <laughs> uh, for for no fault of Sergio Perez at all and I think Sergio Perez has been on the receiving end quite a few times in the past mm. couple of seasons where he's been pushed off track probably even in Austria Austria if I remember correctly and. And that's really kind of hampered how his race goes. So in that sense, it's a little unfair, but you do have to remember that this is racing and you can't have this sort of clean racing where everyone makes it to the finish line all the time. Surely there will be battles between drivers and that is in the DNA of the sport. There will be battles. Sometimes you're able to get away unscathed, but sometimes you you do receive a little bit of damage as well. So in that sense, I think the current system that we have five seconds and 10 second time penalties being applied, I think that's fairly... That's, that's fair. How the stewards kind of judge penalties or judge incidents, uh, incidents is more of, that's the more burning question because many times mm. you kind of feel that this might have been a racing incident, but that's been penalized or, or the other way around. So uh, that's I think that's one thing. And, and secondly, I think penalties affect different teams differently, which is also why I kind of understand the emotion behind the question because Teams like probably Red Bull or Mercedes in recent years, if they've been given a five-second penalty, uh, a classic example is what happened to Lewis Hamilton at Silverstone 2021. I know it's a very touchy subject for some. (laughs) Watch your emails very carefully after this. (laughs) (laughs) He did get a 10-second penalty after that little, I would say, a battle with with Max Verstappen, but then he still went on to win the race. And And people didn't take that lightly. But the thing is that these sort of incidents 
um, when they happen, the consequence of those incidents are not taken into consideration. It's only the incident that's taken in isolation. Mm-hmm. And the classic example of Carlos Sainz uh, clashing with Fernando Alonso in Australia this year, but people still were asking if Fernando Alonso was able to make his way back to the grid, why was Carlos Sainz penalized? So it's down to the incident rather than what hap- what, what comes out of the incident that people, uh, that the stewards look at. And in that sense, I think the current system kind of works Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, Did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Yeah, I mean, this this is a very subjective one. I mean, making the punishment fit the crime in Formula One has always been a difficult thing to do. Um, maybe you can make an argument that the stewards now maybe have too much choice because back when we were growing up with, with F1 when we were younger, we didn't have time penalties. We, we like if it was a punishment, it would normally be a drive through or a stop and go. It was very extreme. It was either zero or drive throughs, which minimum were, I'd say around maybe 20 seconds, depending on the track, roughly. If it was a stop and go, it's more like 30 to 35 once you factor in all the stopping. So, yeah, like it's, it's, <laughs> I feel I agree with you in that there would be fundamental changes to how drivers race each other if that was on the table. If it were if we were talking along the lines of 
you know, if you put someone off the road or if you leave the track and gain an advantage, you'd be talking drive-through penalties. The, the drivers would revolt. They, they, they wouldn't be able... Because let's be honest, they're racing drivers. They are paid to exploit the limits. They are paid to, to do what they do. I'll give you an example. You mentioned 2021. Look at Max Verstappen. He put the stewards in difficult scenarios constantly towards the back end of that season. Monza... That was, you know, you could argue either way that might have been a racing incident. They blamed Max. They gave him a free place grid penalty for it. You could go Silverstone where Hamilton, you know, hit Verstappen at a cops and then put him into the wall. And that was a 50G incident. Maybe that's why the students went 10 seconds instead of five. You know, Verstappen again in Brazil and Saudi Arabia. There were multiple incidents there which could have gone either way. The brake test in that race, you know, a lot of people got angry that it was only 10 and not a more severe punishment because, you know, a lot of people think it was a brake test. You could be the judge at home on that one. But I don't think you'll ever be able to please everybody with, with that sort of approach. I, me personally, I'm largely fine with the way things are right now. I think the problem is, for me, I would like to see a consistent paid through the year stewards panel. I know Steiner mentioned this around Monaco earlier this year. I'm in full agreement with him. I, I would like to have one set of stewards for the whole season so at least you could see and get a better idea of roughly how they adjudicate incidents. Because rotating them out every single race weekend, everybody thinks differently. It's a very subjective way of judging incidents and it's going to breed inconsistency when you have that as your sporting structure. I like having the five second time penalty. I think it is a generally pretty good catch all solution. Um, We don't see, you know, even the 10 second penalty is rare. That's normally for like track limits and, and bigger stuff. The drive through and the 10 second stop ago is virtually extinct now, unless somebody really breaks a rule, like a, like maybe coming into a close pit lane. I think we saw that at Monza a couple of years ago, where I think, I think Hamilton got that at Monza, where he, he went into a closed pit and had to take a 10 second stop and go. You normally only get them at the really extreme end of things. So, I think it's fine. I think most of these incidents like leaving the track or gaining an advantage or track limits or, you know, causing a collision, most of the time they're minor. And I think a five second penalty fits that. If a car goes out as a direct result, maybe up it to 10. I wouldn't have a big problem with that. Um, Going all the way to stop and goes, seems a bit harsh, especially given sometimes those incidents are racing incidents between collisions and whatnot. No one is wholly to blame, but then you feel like you've got to hit somebody. If you get hit somebody with a punishment, then you're effectively ending their race by giving them something that's equivalent to maybe half a minute. Like, I think you've got to be very careful if you're going to have that sort of all or nothing mentality when it comes to punishment. So, I like the variety we've got. I like the options the stewards have got right now. So I'm going to say two on this. I disagree. Um, I think what we've got is mostly fine. The issue I have is not a punishment problem. It's a stewarding problem. That's the best way I can sum it up. What do you think? <laughs> I totally agree. I think we 
have been wanting more consistent stewarding in the past couple of seasons and there have been a lot of incidents where the stewards decisions have been questionable so we want more consistent stewarding and i think the penalty system in itself is fine i mean it's going to affect a lot of the teams who are probably battling it out for the last few available points maybe p8 or p9 so if they end up getting a stop go penalty they can probably just end up in the pits and retire the car so you really still want to give them a chance to probably make their way up and probably get a couple of points so in that sense the current system i think it works well so i think i think we're going to go i'm also going to go with the two yeah i'm with you on that one two agreements so far we're getting along far too well this in the round i have to say <laughs> uh two takes left on the episode number four comes from cowboy zales and he's again very to the point on this one ferrari passes mercedes in the constructors Oh, so the hope of Monza has uh, has, has come to the Tifosi uh, in, in, in our mentions on this occasion. Ferrari to overtake Mercedes in the Constructors' Championship. Are, are you believing in the hope of the prancing horse and the Rams? Do you think Ferrari can potentially close them in? Because I think Ferrari, very quietly, have now gone about their business a little bit. They've now overtaken Aston Martin with Monza, getting you know both cars in the top four. They're ahead of Aston Martin by 11. They're 45 behind Mercedes right now, so but roughly a weekend's worth of points. Um, the 45 behind Mercedes, we have, gosh, was it seven weekends to go? Eight weekends to go. Do you think Ferrari can rein Mercedes in? I like how this take is a statement. It's It's pretty much out there. Ferrari passes Mercedes in the constructors. And I like the confidence in the take itself. But I think it's easy to kind of say that looking at Ferrari's performance at Monza in specific. And I think the team did a great deal of effort to ensure that the car was suited and well-placed for a good result in Monza. I mean, significantly because, uh, because it is their home race. So it kind of worked well in that sense. But that sort of performance across all the remaining eight rounds, I think it's there's a little bit of question mark over that. And the fact is that I don't think this is this could be happening. Ferrari are currently 45 points behind Mercedes, and they're going to be they're going to have to work a great deal to bring in a little bit of consistency. And I think that's that's the kind of edging factor for Mercedes. They've been slightly more consistent than Ferrari in terms of getting points. Hamilton has scored points in every round. Russell has not scored, I think, on three occasions. Ferrari on the other end, Leclerc has had three retirements and Sainz has not scored on two occasions. So even in terms of strategy, Ferrari have not been polished as compared to Mercedes. I wouldn't say Mercedes have been at their very best as well, compared to what we've seen in Mm. previous seasons. Even they are not at their very best. But just looking at those two teams, I think Mercedes kind of edged them out in terms of consistency. And both teams are operating in very narrow operating windows when it comes to uh, on race day. I mean, Ferrari have managed to put the car on pole a couple of times this year, but Mercedes have kind of had better Sundays than Ferrari. So once again, I would have to disagree. I think <laughs> Mercedes have pretty much sealed P2. I think they're going to hold on to it very well. And I think P2 is going to be theirs. Yeah, I mean, Ferrari, the thing about Ferrari and Monza, you've got to be a little bit careful if you're using that as your sample. So I'm not saying that you are Cowboys, I also sent in the take, but you've got to be a little bit careful. Ferrari went all in to win at Monza. They went, they, they turned their power units up. They were a lot faster in a straight line than they normally are. They brought the skinniest wings they could afford to bring. 
and they played to the strengths of their car, and their car is strong in two major areas, top-end speed and low-speed balance. Like, And you need those two things to win at Monza. That's why Ferrari probably gave Verstappen the best fight he's had all year, um, because he was very hard. Like, Sainz was very hard to pass in a straight line. You can just park it on the right-hand side of the turn one chicane and you largely get away with it. You, you don't have to defend that spot very hard. You just, it's very hard to pass around the outside because the other guy could just pinch it. Ask Hamilton in 2021, he'll tell you. Um, <laughs> but um, it plays to Ferrari's strengths. That's not Ferrari usually, in my opinion. But look, what I will say is their car is very peaky. They have very good days, but they also have very bad ones. For every Austria or Monza where they've been very strong, there's been a Silverstone or there's been a Spain where they've been dreadful, where they've been bottom end of the points. Like that's the problem I have with Ferrari. Their drivers are very good. Charles Leclerc is an excellent driver. Carlos Sainz has been very consistent all year long, not been a huge problem, but none of them are on the level of Lewis Hamilton this year. Hamilton is 47 points ahead of Carlos Sainz in the standings right now. The, the, that's the guy you need to beat because Russell's roughly with roughly with the Ferrari drivers in terms of points and performances. Hamilton's on another level. He's not finished the race outside of the top eight all season. That's the sort of performances you need to be getting in week in, week out if you want to challenge Mercedes over the full season. Their baseline, their floor you know, metaphorically speaking, their floor and ceiling, their Mercedes floor is a lot higher than Ferrari's is. Mercedes can have a bad weekend. They'll still finish in the top eight. If Ferrari has a bad weekend, the car's going to be going to be not working or it's not going to score points. We've seen it happen this season already. I, I get why people are excited about Ferrari again. I completely understand it's Ferrari. There is an emotional tie to that team. Unlike any other in Formula One, people are happy and excited when they do well. I'm one of them. I completely get it. The rational pundit in my head says, I think you're right, Syndrome. I think Mercedes will hold on to P2 over the course of the season. I, I just can't get there with, with Ferrari. I mean, they, they've got to make up 45 points. I'm not sure where they're going to get that unless Mercedes has a horror show weekend somewhere, or maybe a double DNF or a teammate clash or something bonkers like that, which just doesn't normally happen because... I, I agree. I think Mercedes are just a better, more consistent team right now than Ferrari. Is that fair to say? I you're, you're chomping at the, beat to, at the bit to say something, so I know you've got something on your mind here. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I, I absolutely love how you put forward that perspective of yours. It is very well explained. But I would love to see Ferrari jump up to P2, and that would mean this team functions at their efficient best across all departments, even in terms of strategy, even in terms of pit stops. I would love to see a Ferrari at its very best across all departments. And sure, I would love to see them make it to P2 and give Mercedes a challenge in the dying races of the season for P2. So I would love to see that, but I think it's very tall order for Ferrari based off how they have been performing so far. So I think I'll give it... I think I'll give it a two once again. <laughs> yeah, three twos in a row here for, for the pair of us. Like the, the, the these takes are very interesting. Yeah, look, I would love to see Ferrari second. I've said it before. I'm a big fan of Fred Vassar. I think he's done a solid job, given he's had to juggle a lot of internal politics at Ferrari since joining that team. If you if you followed the start of the season, dealing with the back end of 
the Mattia Bonotto era. There was a lot of Bonotto guys who have since moved on. David Sanchez is going back to McLaren. Lauren Mekis is going to Alpha Tauri. That, that was their sporting director. He's going as well. Changing that transition of eras. And then Fred got a wonderful welcome present to his time as Ferrari team boss. And that was the Bonotto's last car, which was not very good. So now he's had to deal with that. He's already said this week, this past weekend that this 2024 car is going to be an entirely new concept from the ground up, which kind of says a lot about the last one. Um, second would certainly, I think, give the Ferrari to Fossi some hope. I think that would be nice to say. I mean, you can say, okay, he's had to navigate a lot of nonsense, but to come through second would still be like reasons to be optimistic. I think, I mean, let's not forget this team was second last year. Like this is going to be a bit of a down year by Ferrari by comparison. How much that of that is on Fred, I think is up for debate personally. I, I don't think a lot of that can be on him, but I would like to see, like, I, I am a Ferrari fan. I make no bones about it. Michael Schumacher was my hero growing up. I've always been a Ferrari guy. I would love to see them do well. They've got the drivers to do well. They've got more than enough resources to do well. I think Fred's one of the best team bosses in F1. I think he was excellent at Alfa Romeo, especially his last season where they kind of gamed the system on weight to get Alfa up the board. That was, that was very clever. Um, I think he's a very good team boss. I think he's the right sort of personality to run that team. And I, I would like to see them get second, but I have to say two with you as well. I, I think Mercs are just better overall right now. I think they've got slightly better drivers. I think they've got a slightly better car. I think it's a, slight, it's a slightly less problematic car. And I think overall, they're just a little bit better than Ferrari right now. Uh, right. Final take for the episode. It's from uh, F1 Ziamara. I think as an X at the front, I'm not sure how you pronounce that, but I'll go with Ziamara on, on this one. And the take reads, this is quite spiritual. Whoever is, whoever is winning the most will always be accused of not having talent and instead just being in the fastest car. It's a cynical take, but I do see where you're coming from. Whomever is winning the most will always be accused of not having talent and instead just being in the fastest car. How does that make you feel, Sindaram? <laughs> No, I think this is going to be my most favorite take from today's episode. And I like talking about this, considering the fact that this whole car and driver debate it keeps cropping up every few years. I don't know mm-hmm. how much this is spoken about in other sports and football. Do people share the same sentiment when it comes to Cristiano Ronaldo or Leo Messi or sure. even other sports for, for that matter where a particular sportsman is dominating. Does that happen in tennis as well? Do you often kind of imagine that the other talent in the sport is not up to the mark as you are? But it's a it's a very recurring talking point in Formula 1. And I think there are some facets that really go unnoticed, which you kind of touched upon at the start of this episode. So firstly, in my eyes, if a driver, if a team has built the fastest car and you find yourself in that car, I think there is surely some level of talent in you and even the team sees in you. So if you've been, if you are in the fastest car that season, I think you've achieved something at least to be firstly put in that car. And what I think people really undermine is consistency. I know these are probably the best 20 drivers out there, but they all have different levels of talent and different levels of consistently. And the more consistent ones are those that win titles. 
I've I've been one who's grown up idolizing Fernando Alonso, but I've really been stunned at the consistency Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, and now Max Verstappen have been showing, and they've kind of earned my respect in that sense. With what they've been able to do with that fastest car, not everyone can put that car on pole and win with those cars week in week out. So that's that's one aspect. If you are in that car, surely there is. some level of talent if you're winning races there surely is some level of talent but this is the interesting bit i think it's beyond the car i think it's beyond the driver as well there's also the team because even if we have the fastest car even if we have the fastest driver it doesn't necessarily mean you're winning the title there have been many examples through the years through history where probably the best combinations have not gone on to win the title i think to a great extent people thought even last year ferrari was going to win the title but then a lot of issues crept up in terms of reliability in terms of strategy and these is and this is where i feel that people tend to undermine the team's effort what people do in the garage what people do back home at the bases in terms of development in terms of race strategy all of these things make a difference and those things also deserve the sort of appreciation that we sometimes don't tend to give if if you look at 2005 for example the fastest car by a mile was the mclaren and kimi was driving that car and probably he was at his prime in that season but unfortunately the car wasn't as reliable and fernando alonso won that year mm. so it's not down to the fastest car it's always not down to having the best talent it's the whole operation it's what you do beyond even off off track that kind of determines if you win the title Yeah, I can't disagree with a lot. I've got a slightly different perspective on it. I I wholeheartedly agree with this take from Zimmer. I have to first and foremost. I say this because I've been on F1 social media for over a decade now. I've been a content creator since 2011 in various forms. Every driver gets this complaint at certain points, especially when it comes to dominance. When once people start dominating, once they start winning two or three years in a row, people start getting cynical and i think it varies to a degree with certain drivers i think people that drive adrian newey cars often get it a little bit worse like like verstappen's getting now and vettel in the past a lot of people when i was growing up in his era and started coming into my own as a video maker i noticed that a lot of people were very quick to dismiss vettel by comparison to alonso and hamilton because oh it's a newy car oh you know anybody can win in an adrian newy car and yes adrian newy is arguably the sport's greatest technical mind there's certainly a conversation you can have about that but everybody gets this treatment at certain points it's a shame because I think it is that we as fans emotionally connect with drivers more than we do teams and cars. I think we always have. I think if you look on people's bios on their Instagrams and Twitters and however social media it is if you're a hardcore F1 fan, chances are you've got a driver's initials in the bio somewhere. LN4 or MV1 or MV33 or LH44. You you you've, you've all seen them. We are emotionally attached to drivers and what is ultimately still an engineering sport. It is it, like there are to say it's all on the driver is not fair to for example the thousand people back at Brackley or in the team garage on a wait on a race weekend that all come together in certain ways to make the team the success that it is and the same way that you need the driver to be essentially the final piece of the jigsaw puzzle the driver ultimately it's it's ultimately in their hands um whether whenever they can bring home the car and get the best out of what all those people back 
home, back at base, back at back in the garage have done over the course of that weekend. You can't have one without the other. It's it's kind of strange. It's like cricket, for example. It's a team game, but a lot of it ultimately boils down to individual performances. It's 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 very strange. I've often I've, I've seen. I don't know if anybody knows the YouTube of Foolish Baseballs. I'm a big baseball fan as well. They talk about it. How if anything. It's actually the ultimate team game where someone can perform out of their mind and be brilliant week in, week out, but they could still ultimately lose because there's only so many at-bats a player can have. It's the same principle here. I think as fans, we love the drivers where there is often so much more to it than that that leads to overall success. And like it's hard to be emotionally invested in carbon fiber and brakes and power units. We as humans will always be most compelled by human stories. That's just how we are as people. Um, and it's a shame because because of that very conflicted nature between the engineering side of the sport and the drivers we love and admire so much, it will all, it will always bring about a degree of cynicism regarding someone if they're winning all the time because oh they've just got the best car and everybody knows in in this sport deep down that, every, that the best car tends to win more often than not. The outliers like you mentioned with Alonso are quite rare. Like it's it's you need close competition. You need multiple teams to be involved. Like twenty twenty one, part of the reason why it was such a great season, for example, was because. The Red Bull and the Mercedes were both stronger at different points of the year. Start of the year, Red Bull was probably a little bit better. Back end of the year, towards the finale, Mercedes were blatantly better. It was that's what made it so compelling was you didn't know who was going to be in the fastest car week in week out. It's a shame, and I've seen it with Schumacher. I've seen it with Vettel. I've seen it with Hamilton, and I've now seen it with Verstappen. Like everybody will get that accusation, accusation that you know. The, the the best cars the only reason why you're doing so great and it's it's a shame because we as human beings should be most compelled by the driver doing what they do and yet we like to dismiss that when we think it favors an argument which i guess is kind of the whole point of hdw at the end of the day so for me i'm gonna say five i i, I completely agree with this take i've seen it so many times it's not even funny I fully agree with Giamara's take on this one. Best car will bring out the cynics in people. That's just how it is in F1, unfortunately. It's not fair. I fully admit it's not fair um, on, on, on all those aspects we mentioned, but that's unfortunately... I think that's the cynicism of sport in general that brings out a lot of the bad stuff because I've said it before, sports fandom is based on hatred. <laughs> we, we don't, I'm a United fan. We don't go around shaking Man City fans' hands every two seconds. It's not how, that's not how sport works. <laughs> you and Osadram, India played Pakistan in the cricket yesterday. Most of them aren't shaking hands after that result. Let's be honest with each other here, oh, right? Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And I love how you put that. It's, it's all down to fan bases. It's all how passionate about the drivers or the teams that you're supporting. So you're obviously not going to be very positive towards the other drivers or your rivals at least but i also agree the fact that this sort of a take is going to continue even for the years to come people will always question a driver's talent based on the car that he's driving or if if, if that driver is winning the championships so i think this sort of an opinion or a perspective is still going to continue in the years to come but if you kind of break it down it's kind of not down to the talent or even the fastest car at all no, I, I could. I, I, I'm with you on that. You got to score it before we get out of here, my friend. Uh, are you going four or five, or, or how do you feel about that take? 
I think I'll I think I'll give it a four. Four. Okay. Very, very cool. That'll just about do it for this week's Hot Take Wednesday. Sundar, tell us where tell, tell the good people where they can find you and your work before we move on. Everybody gets a plug. So uh t- speak to your microphone where where can the good people find you so you can definitely find me on instagram and twitter under the name f1 stats guru and hopefully you'll hear a lot of my stats on the f1 broadcast as well and you can also see a lot of my articles coming up uh, on motorsport or autosport or quite of the other publications that i write for but if you want to check out my content week in week out head to instagram or twitter you'll see a lot of posts or interesting reels and stories from formula one that i keep sharing He's he is a fantastic content creator, one of the most knowledgeable stat heads you will see in this game today. And uh, do give him a little WTF one bump from us. He is well worth a follow. I promise you on that one. I've been Dre Harrison. Thank you very much for listening to Hot Takes Wednesday. We'll be back next week after the Singapore Grand Prix. Hopefully, maybe Red Bull is right, and Charles Leclerc will give Red Bull something to think about. Probably, maybe, hopefully. Until then, I've been Dre. Thank you very much for listening. Sayonara. Take care. Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy. 
So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today.